The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 71. This is still Employment Law Now, and I am still your host, Mike Schmidt, the Vice Chair of Labor and Employment here at Cozen O'Connor. We do have some real interesting breaking news. Uh, We've gotten some new guidance, a little bit limited, but some new guidance on the PPP loan forgiveness issues. For those companies out there who have received a uh, payroll protection program loan, PPP loan, uh, and are wondering, well, what can we use the money for and over what period of time do we have to use it, uh, there has been some guidance just released over this past weekend. And uh, I wanted to bring on two guests who have been so terrific about getting into the weeds of all things PPP-related, Steve Dickinson and James Van Orden, two partners of mine here at Cozen O'Connor in the Business Law Department. Uh, And they have been gracious enough to return to the podcast to talk to you about what just took place. Okay, so uh, Steve and James, thanks so much for joining me today. We're happy to be here. Yeah, great. happy to be here. Yeah, no, there's so many things uh, that continue to develop, continue to change. So I uh, really appreciate you hopping on uh, to talk about some paycheck protection program issues. Uh, and we'll refer to that as uh, the PPP for those who, for some reason, are not yet familiar with that acronym. Uh, so a lot of people uh, who have received PPP money have now been grappling with what actually to do with the money in light of various real-world challenges. Some guidance is now just trickling in as we're starting to see. Um, but why the delay from the government? I mean, these loan monies have been dispersed uh, a good time ago to most companies. Why are we just starting to see a little bit of guidance coming in now? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, the SBA has kind of been making up a new program with very high stakes. Um, and, you know, Congress laid out some of the contours for it, but in the actual implementation of it, um, they've had to roll out two different tranches of money. Um, there have been some hiccups in terms of who's eligible and what economic need is. Uh, so the SBA has really kind of had a, a full uh, plate in terms of issues. Um, we're now getting to the point where for folks who are in the early rounds of receiving PPP money, uh, they're, they're coming up on the point where they, they could start to seek forgiveness. Um, so, you know, it, it makes sense at this point that we would, we would see this um, sort of phase coming from the SBA on how forgiveness works. Um, they've, they've really sort of been making the program up as they go. Um, and, and this is sort of the phase we're hitting. Interesting. No, although by the law, they were supposed to have done this 
by April 26th at the latest. And obviously, people have been wanting to know how they were going to be able to spend the money in order to get forgiveness. So we've been fielding questions on this, you know, almost since April 3rd when the original application came out. And, and uh, so there's a lot of people out there who, who have a lot of questions. And I, I have to say, I think the SBA did a pretty good job with this form. I think it, it answers quite a few of the questions that people had. There's probably still a few remaining. It's just a shame it took as long, but as James said, they, they really had to make this up out of whole cloth. Sure, maybe, in, I mean, in fairness to them, maybe they're like me and they sort of think it's still April for some reason, um, <laughs> not, not, not realizing we've gotten into May. So we are actually in May. It is, as we are recording this and releasing this today, it is uh, Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. Um, I like to put the timestamp on these coronavirus-related episodes so that people uh, understand uh, the date in which we're talking about some of these developments and understanding that some things can change. Before we get into uh, the forum and the guidance that actually did just come out, let's level set the discussion uh, with a quick refresher first, if we can, Steve. The, the PPP was designed to do what? Uh, really to keep people on the payroll, uh, hence Paycheck Protection Program. Um, and encourage companies to retain employees rather than to lay off employees during the downturn. So the key here at this point now is uh, how and when companies must use the funds that they've received to ensure that the loan will be forgiven and not have to be paid back with interest, presumably. Uh, right. It's supposed to be used primarily for payroll and then for certain other operating expenses. And uh, it's forgivable to the extent that you do that and you meet certain other criteria that are set out in the statute. And so now we're getting to the point where people are, are thinking about applying for the forgiveness aspect of it. Okay, and just very broadly then, um, the rule, obviously, they're, they're going to be uh, applying or they did apply and they're getting uh, some of these PPP funds. What is the general rule in terms of uh, what they have to use it on and uh, during what period of time they have to use it uh, in order for it to be forgiven and not have to be paid back? James? Sure. The, um, so the basic idea is after your loan originates, um, you have an eight-week period during which you can spend uh, your PPP proceeds. And from that, you sort of get a bit, and it's on 75% at least payroll costs, and then uh, up to 25% of non-payroll costs, including um, rent, mortgage interest, utilities, as long as they're sort of pre-existing. Uh, so the idea is that if you spend money on payroll and those other covered costs at the end of roughly eight weeks um, or at the end of, of, of your, your period of using the money, um, you'd be able to apply through your bank for forgiveness. And the way that that works is basically the, the program looks at a, a couple of factors. And, and what the SBA has done really over the last couple of days is, is clarified how some of this is going to work. But the basic sort of policy goals behind it were, one, um, to make sure you're doing what you can as a business to re retain employees or to rehire employees. So there's a heavy emphasis put on um, where your FTE levels are uh, in relation to historic levels. And then secondly... Um, sorry, James. And so by FTE, full-time... Full-time full equivalent uh, employees. And then the second piece is that you're retaining people's paychecks in terms of their, their salary and wages. 
Um, so, so, you know, what came out over the weekend and that we've been sort of digesting is a, a form application for forgiveness that you provide to your bank, uh, as well as instructions that lay out um, how you would, you would seek forgiveness, um, what documentation you would need, and then there are certain safe harbors that fall within those policy goals in terms of bringing employees back and, and um, restoring the salaries and wages, et cetera. All right. So before I get into the safe harbors, I want to just go into the very basic logistics, particularly for those people who are listening uh, that don't really have a sense of how they go about doing this. So we got the application form and application instructions that came out over the weekend, correct? Yes. Yes. And the application is supposed to go to their lender. They submit it to the lender, uh, and it's the lender who's determining the question of whether, uh, I guess, all or part of the loan will be forgiven? At least in the first instance, I think the SBA has to sign off on it too, but the lender does the initial processing. Okay. When does the when does a company have to file this forgiveness application? Is there a particular deadline? There's not a deadline in the statute. Interestingly, the OMB expiration date on the form is October 31. So presumably OMB thinks that it's all going to be wrapped up by then, but the statute doesn't have any, any time deadline. Is there any benefit to uh, either putting in the application for forgiveness earlier or, on the contrary, waiting and delaying putting in that application? I mean, there was always this rush in the beginning to seek the funding because there was this fear that money would run out, and that's exactly what happened for many companies. But is there any benefit to either early filing or delaying the filing of this forgiveness application that we could think of? I, in the some of the initial SBA, I don't remember whether it was guidance or regulations, they indicated that you could start to apply for forgiveness. And this was before we even saw the form at week seven of your loan, projecting out your costs. Um, what we've now seen in the in the actual forgiveness application with the safe harbors, um, you know, there is a lot of importance. Uh, as to the June 30th date, as to whether or not folks' salaries and or FTE uh, have been restored. So uh, the timing, I think, on this, you know, uh, for folks who are in week seven prior to June 30th, I, I would imagine they're, they'd not want to, um, to file that soon. Um, so it, 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 it's unclear. I mean, you, you probably want to wait till past the June 30th safe harbor date, and we can talk about that. In addition, there's also political, um, some political possibilities that could happen in terms of there's been pushback from a policy perspective. If you take sort of a business that's, um, you know, in, in a, uh, take, for example, a restaurant, right? It's tough for them. Your base forgiveness amount is, is going to really be based on your payroll. And if they're in a state that's hard hit or a city hard hit by COVID-19, they may not even be allowed to open yet. And they may want to sort of spread the, their use of PPP money out to a later part of, of you know, of the summer, for example. Um, I think there's, what we're sort of hearing is there's an increasing interest in Washington trying to solve forgiveness for some entities like that. And to the extent that happens, it'd be another reason to kind of wait, wait and see. But everybody's sort of operating in some form of gray, whether you got money early on or got money late. And you mentioned this June 30th um, milestone date. We might as well address that now. What, what are you referring to when you refer to this June 30th date? So the act has what's referred to as the rehire provision. 
if you have laid off employees during the, the eight-week calculation period, but you rehire them by the end of June, then you're permitted to count them um, and, and basically treat them as if they hadn't been laid off. And so for a lot of companies that are in that position, they may find it advantageous to take advantage of that rehire provision. And, and uh, as a result of that, obviously, they wouldn't be in a position to, to do anything until after June 30th. I will say with regard to the form, though, that um, I don't see anything in it that says you can file the form based on estimated numbers. And so I think people are going to have to at least wait until the end of the eight weeks. And they have to fill out the form, which requires pretty detailed information and a lot of supporting documentation that I suspect for quite a few companies is going to be a, a pretty time-consuming process of putting together. So uh, I, think we'll find, I think we'll find that a lot of companies are not going to be in a position to file really fast just because it's going to take them a while to get the information together. Um, on the other hand, I think you know, there is the six-month grace period in which you don't have to make payments on your loan. And I think it behooves everybody to get their, their uh, forgiveness applications in as quickly as they can so that there's time to get them processed and you know what the forgiveness amount is so you can make the adjustments in the payments before the payments start in six months. But within those parameters, I think it's going to be all over the map. And so, as you said, the application is really based on what has actually happened as opposed to projecting what you're intending to do or what may happen. That's the, yes, I believe that's what it says. Yeah. Okay. And so once a company does get the forgiveness application in, is there a date by which a decision has to be made on the forgiveness? Has that been indicated? The statute says 60 days after it's submitted. But the statute also said 30 days for the forgiveness rules to come out. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Um, and so, uh, again, just staying with the application and, and sort of the process, other than dealing with the uh, forgiveness and, and making a decision whether the, the PPP loan will be forgiven, does the application and the instructions that just came out address sort of the threshold question of need in the first place? for the loan monies, either uh, from a monetary standpoint need perspective or a coverage and underlying eligibility standpoint of need? Does the application address this need concept? Um, well, what the, what the application does um, is it basically says that the lender will um, be in a position to effectively reject um, forgiveness in the event that there's a determination made or they get guidance from the SBA that a party's not eligible. So I think it, I don't think there's any material change in kind of the, the, the baseline question of COVID-19 hardship and what the economic need is, but it does, I think, and, and Steve, I'm interested in your thoughts on this too, it does sort of inject that question into the forgiveness uh, decision that the banks will need to make. And it says in terms of, you know, the guidance that the SBA has made at the time. So if the SBA puts out additional FAQs or regulations that are limiting eligibility or clarifying, if they're seeing there are a bunch of loans in a sector they didn't expect or et cetera, then I, you know, I do think that there could be another um, sort of bite at the apple. And um, I believe in the application for forgiveness, there's another 
certification made on the part of the borrower now seeking forgiveness that they acknowledge that the bank has that right with the SBA to effectively reject forgiveness. Yeah, on the need point, the SBA addressed that right at the end of last week when they came out with an FAQ that said that for loans under $2 million, they would presume need, and for loans over $2 million, they would evaluate need. And in calculating that $2 million, they would look at the borrower and its affiliates calculated according to the SBA's affiliation rules. And so the one thing that the form does is it has a box to check to, for the applicant to indicate whether, based upon the affiliation rules, they are over $2 million. So applicants will need to take another look at the affiliation rules and redetermine if they're not already sure whether or not they're above or below the $2 million together with any other companies that, that are affiliates that also got loans in, in order to make that certification. Yeah, that yeah. need issue has really uh, gotten a lot of press. I mean, we've seen uh, where, you know, some of the some people have been upset that some of the larger companies, I guess the public companies, uh, have received a, a lot of the funding. And, you know, people are um, uh, upset when you're talking about need and who really needs this money. So I guess the applications and the instructions that just came out over the weekend uh, sort of, as you said, give another chance to look at that question and uh, have a company, again, certify that, in fact, they fall within uh, the the bucket of entities that need this and uh, and are entitled to this money. Even yeah. with all the guidance that SBA was giving, they were extremely vague about what they meant by need, and I think it was it was really driven by the politics of the day rather than any coherent policy, as near as I can tell. Good point. Yeah, see, a couple follow up items. One is to the extent entities have a statutory exemption from affiliation, for example, hotels, um, certain franchises, um, they need not sort of count all their collective loans, like affiliation doesn't count. So they may not have to check that $2 million box if they're in those sort of Congress exempted um, uh, buckets. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think we've talked about need, but even for the entities that are over 2 million, the sort of, you know, basic contours of that are one, um, has your business suffered or project out a COVID-19 based hardship? Um, if you're in a line of business that's booming, you know, um, during the COVID-19 period when everybody's home, um, then, and you, you know, you got a $4 million loan, you could ultimately have a problem where the government would come back and say, come on, did you really need this to survive? You were doing great. And then the second piece is access to liquidity, cash, et cetera. Um, there's a big gap between large, you know, publicly traded entities and, and, you know, smaller privately held companies, but everybody should really go back and take a look at, you know, to the extent they had access to cash or liquidity and using it, what would it do to adversely impact their business or could they sustain it using their own funds? So, you know, and, and for the folks who are over 2 million based on the FAQ, they've said, you know, basically if in, you've done that analysis in good faith and later out, you turn out to be wrong, if you return the money, at least for SBA's purposes, they'll consider it to basically fall within a safe harbor. So, so that's really the need question. And what the form does is basically screens, right? It's going to have folks self-identify whether with their affiliates, they're over 2 million. 
And that's probably going to, to trigger, potential, potentially trigger audit interest, et cetera, um, for those over $2 million entities. You know, and if they have five or six related entities each that have gotten a million dollar loan, they're all going to have to check that box and those will probably be looked at. But in terms of that initial discussion of, you know, did COVID-19 impact your business adversely and how would using other sources of cash impact your, your, your future, I don't think anything has really changed on that. It remains gray and folks want to make sure they're thoughtful about those questions. And so if you're a business that received less than $2 million um, and you don't have sort of the affiliates or the related entities, it doesn't seem like there's going to be an issue uh, revisiting the need for that money. At least for uh, under the the, uh, the SBA's guidance and, and regulations, it seems like those entities, there's a presumed need is how I think of it, right? Yeah. Okay. So I want to go through a few quick questions that I know companies have been asking in this uh, regard. Um, so let's take the company that has received PPP monies, um, but can't yet operate during the required eight-week period. Uh, what are we telling those companies that they're supposed to do with the money that they're supposed to be spending? Well, uh, they can't spend it. Uh, well, I mean, there may be things they could spend it on uh, because they can spend 25% of the proceeds on rent, on utilities, on mortgage interest, and they may still have those costs, at least to some extent, during that eight-week period. And so they're, they're certainly permitted to spend that part of it. Um, but one thing, one question that a lot of people had asked, and that actually until seeing the form, we really didn't know for sure the answer to, was exactly that. Okay, I can't spend all my money within the eight-week period. Now what happens? And it really wasn't clear to a lot of people whether the government was going to say, okay, pay it back, you know, right now at the end of the eight-week period because you didn't need it, or it just converts into the two-year loan and, and you pay it back over two years. It appears the answer to that question is you pay it back over two years. And, and uh, the one question that is not answered in the form um, which I hopefully will see some guidance on from SBA because it is a question that a lot of people are asking, is uh, do those use restrictions still apply to the unspent money, even though we're out of the forgiveness period now? SBA had said you have to spend 75% of the money on payroll. You can only spend 25% of the money on rent and utilities and mortgage interest. And you can't spend any of it on anything other than those four items. So do those requirements still continue for that money after the eight-week period and, and we're not asking for forgiveness on it? Or does it now just go into our operating bank account and we can use it for whatever, like, like any other loan? I don't think we still know the answer to that question. That's a great yeah, question. Let me, let me, uh, let me add yeah, one thing, too. I mean, it, it, there's a whole range of sort of business interests as to how they use this money, especially for those who cannot, um, who can't reopen. Uh, I've seen some who've, you know, said, look, it's taken us 10, 15 years to build our human capital. And, you know, we're going to, while we know people are doing way less at home, we're, you know, we're afraid that we just want to basically keep our, our businesses infrastructure in place and we're willing to spend the money on payroll now. Um, I don't think there's any prohibition on, on using it, using the proceeds and in fact, you know, for folks who don't use the money on payroll, when they go for forgiveness, their forgiveness amount is going to be way lower. 
So, I mean, the way the mechanics of this work are, you, you know, you've, you've sort of got to find a way to pay payroll um, to, to have a meaningful forgiveness. Um, and there are some businesses that say, well, I'm not going to bring people back to do nothing because that's just not the way we operate. And there are others who said, we want to just press pause right now, keep paying our people so that when things pick up, hopefully in the next month or two or three, um, our business is ready to kind of come back from a position of strength. So it's a business by decision, business decision. Um, no, no one answer to that, but I mean, there are some who've come to the decision of, you know, they're going to pay people even though they're not, um, they're not working and there's not much for them to do just to keep things in place. Keep things in place, keep them uh, sort of active so that not only can you help your forgiveness argument, uh, but also keep the employee morale up, keep them making some money so that when ready, when we're ready to come back, as you said, we'll be uh, ready to go on day one. Yeah, and then Steve's point is good too. If if that's not right for your business, we now you know have have clear clear a clear notion that the what you don't use and what isn't forgiven um, can be used going forward. You know, at least for payroll, if not unrestricted for the CARES Act allowable uses. So it's perfectly reasonable to say that we prefer a loan and use it when we really need it. Right. So each business is going to have its own sort of projections and sense of when their their comeback is going to happen and when the pain is going to be the worst. And they've got to try to match it up with the lines that both Congress and SBA have drawn so far. So in a situation, um, let's take a company that uh, is able to operate during the required eight week period. Uh, but uh, some or maybe even all of the employees are refusing to come back to work. We've seen that for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the, the, the unemployment insurance uh, payouts are adding to that. Maybe there is uh, continuing uh, legitimate concerns about returning to the workplace. Uh, and so what if they're refusing to come back to work? Uh, what happens there in terms of the forgiveness issue? Have we gotten some guidance in that area yet? There, yes, there was an FAQ that came out a week or so ago that indicated that if you, if you, the employer, made a good faith offer, written offer of reemployment to an employee, so you're calling somebody back from a layoff or furlough, and the employee declines that offer, then you, that doesn't count against you. It's as if you employed that person for purposes of doing the FTE calculations. Uh, in the form, they added to that uh, people who are discharged for cause, people who voluntarily quit, or people who voluntarily requested reduced hours and got reduced hours. So there's a little bit of additional guidance in the form that hadn't come out previously that also gives a little bit more uh, leeway to employers to deal with some of those kinds of issues that have come up. We've been asked those questions almost since day one, and there wasn't any clear answer until Friday night. And let me let me say too. I mean, even even though there's there's clearly an, a safe harbor that if you've offered people back their their jobs, same terms and conditions, it's not going to be counted against you when you look at FTE. Again, you know that's that's base payroll that won't be included in forgiveness. And if that person has a function where they are working, you know, there's nothing that stops you from replacing that person. Um, and, you know, that would smooth out the FTE on forgiveness. Um, there wouldn't be any 
sort of concern over salary reductions or anything like that. So folks can certainly do what they need to do to operate the business. Um, but I don't want, I mean, lots of folks have, have said, well, great, there's a safe harbor. I don't have to worry about it. Um, but if you don't project out what your actual payroll is, you'll have a safe harbor that'll, that'll allow you forgiveness, but the, the sort of pie that you're working on is going to be much smaller if people just are refusing to come back to work. And that's a really, a really tough challenge. Um, I've seen instances too where, um, you know, businesses have wanted to do right by their workers and have realized with the federal unemployment uh, kicker of $600 a week, the, the, you know, prevailing wages they've been paying are not enough uh, to bring them back. And they've had, they've had to consider increasing wages, which can increase payroll. And I don't think there's any prohibition to doing that, particularly um, given the sort of uh, policy point of this is to get you know people working keep people working get salary and wages in people's pockets so it's a really tough decision and, and employers have had very tough decisions to make because you know in sending that letter uh you know offering back employment on comparable terms i mean it has unemployment uh you know unemployment implications so it's it's a really difficult issue how broad when we're talking about uh, we keep mentioning we got to use you know 75 percent uh, for payroll how broad or how narrow is the term payroll can companies use ppp money for things such as say discretionary bonuses or even severance in some cases uh, i think yes on both counts um again we got a little bit more clarity with the form than we had previously there were some questions about whether, because the statute only referred to salary and wages and tips, and it wasn't clear, for instance, can I pay a bonus? And the, the form now is tying the compensation numbers to what you're reporting in your 941s for IRS tax purposes, which obviously includes severance, it includes bonuses, it includes, um, you know, some employers have, have uh, they haven't necessarily called it hazard pay, but, you know, they've bumped up compensation in order to get people to come back in light of, of the difficult circumstances. And all of that appears to count. So, um, again, a, a positive development in my view uh, with the form that we weren't sure was, you know, was going to be the case before we saw the form. Um, so, again, I think it's something that probably helps employers in, in that regard, at least gives some greater certainty than, than was there previously. Yeah, and, and um, one or a couple things on bonuses. One is um, their employees cannot make more than 100, prorated $100,000 per year in compensation. So, um, you know, you order for what? They can't make more than 100000 for what? In terms of in terms of how you would pay payroll, so if you paid someone two hundred thousand dollars a year, that amount for purposes of forgiveness is um, is capped. And you know, so basically, employers have to be careful that they're not exceeding that threshold in use of of PPP money. Um, and the other thing I think, and I think this is new in the form, is that for family owned businesses or um, basically for owners of businesses, they've got to be careful that they're not paying more than um, sort of their average compensation over 2019. Um, so, you know, to the, it sort of gets at the self-dealing issue. Um, so there's some sort of specific 
certifications that have to be made as to, um, you know, owners taking a draw or things like that, that folks will have to be careful with. And just to drill down that point about the uh, the $100,000 cap, because we continue to get questions on this as well. Uh, for somebody, in your example, making $200,000 a year, does that mean that that person's salary is entirely um, removed from the equation, or are you able to factor in up to 100000 of that 200000 salary for purposes of the forgiveness? It's the first 100000 and yeah. and the SBA has actually done the math. So the number is $15,385 during the eight-week period, the covered period for the loan. So basically everybody's compensation is capped at that amount for forgiveness purposes. If you want to pay somebody a million dollars, you can pay them a million dollars, but you don't get to count that toward the forgiveness of the loan. You only get to count the, the, the first 100000 of that. And that $15,000 number is what? Fifteen three eight five. That's a hundred thousand divided by fifty two times eight. Okay, so it's basically what you uh, what your cap is for forgiveness on a weekly basis for each of the eight weeks for your employees. Right. Okay. And uh, and just to be clear, that only is the cash compensation. So benefits, retirement plan contributions, and health insurance premiums and that sort of thing are over and above that. That's just the cash compensation piece. And so. Uh, in addition to the, the compensation, the salary, and, and that stuff, we've also been getting questions about uh, the use of PPP monies for uh, paid leave. Uh, and companies have been asking questions regarding, in particular, the interplay between the PPP and the new um, Families First Coronavirus uh, federal legislation, the FFCRA. Um, can PPP money be used to pay for that new paid family leave that's been enacted for coronavirus purposes it doesn't count for forgiveness purposes you can't you can't double count it okay um and so i guess the flip side of that is if a company does uh, receive or has received ppp monies can it also benefit from the tax credits to offset payments for the new federal ffcra leave I guess it sounds from what you're saying is no, you don't you don't get to the, the double benefit of that. Right, you still get the tax credits, but but you don't get to count the the pay as part of your payroll costs. Okay, so even if you're getting the uh, PPP funding, uh, you can still get the tax credit benefits of the new federal coronavirus leave uh, legislation for the leave you pay out. You just can't count that paid leave. Uh, toward your forgiveness on the PPP application? Uh, I thought you were talking about the FFCRA leave, not the CARES Act. Correct. Yeah, the FFCRA leave. Yeah, the F FFCRA, that's right. Uh, the CARES Act, you can't get both the loan and the retention credit. But, okay. but uh, for the FFCRA, you just can't count it toward your payroll. You can get both. You just can't count it. The amount that you pay for the FFCRA leave, you can't count that uh, as part of what you're seeking to have forgiven. Right. Okay. Um, any other noteworthy issues addressed in uh, the guidance that just came out? And, you know, then I'll also want to ask you if there's anything noteworthy that we're still waiting for more guidance on. Um, one thing I thought was interesting in it is um, 
I've had some questions lately about how um, seasonal employers navigate this. Uh, a lot of folks have, you know, businesses very, very um, seasonally oriented. And for them, uh, you know, relying on some of the sort of past periods that were set in the CARES Act for purposes of FTE really hurts them. Um, and previously in regulations, the SBA uh, allowed seasonal businesses to uh, pick a 12-week period uh, between, I think it's May 1st and, um, and I think it's at the end of September, uh, and, and, and effectively sort of self-define their, their period for purposes of uh, maximizing their loan in a manner that others that aren't seasonal would be able to possibly do. Um, the, the forgiveness application takes the same approach for purposes of doing an FTE count. And it allows um, seasonal employers to effectively choose their own 12-week period in that same, uh, you know, May to September timeframe. So that actually may provide some relief on the forgiveness side for entities that sort of um, fall outside of the, the prior timeframes. Um, so I think that's new and potentially meaningful. Interesting. One thing I found interesting in, in addition to that is um, the SBA actually sort of carrying through on a promise that they made. Um, the the Treasury Secretary and SBA Administrator and, and a whole bunch of other government officials had been going around after the act was adopted telling employers that if they didn't lay people off that they would be eligible for forgiveness. And my response to that has always been, gee, I hope that they actually do that because that's not what the statute says. <laughs> and uh, because the statute has this formula by which you compare your FTEs during the eight weeks to your FTEs doing, during two previous periods before the crisis came out. And I thought a lot of employers are going to find, are going to be disappointed because their FTE counts are lower today than they were at the beginning of 2020 or during 2019. And and one thing that they did, um, which largely, not entirely, but largely delivers on those promises, is that they've they've built in, and it's and it's very unobtrusive. It's literally two lines in the form without any instructions. Um, but it just says if you haven't reduced the number of employees or the average hours of your employees since January one, check here and enter 1.0 in the box for the FTE adjustment. So. What they're saying is if you haven't decreased compensation or decreased your, your FTE count since the first of the year to the end of your eight-week covered period, then you get a pass, which is a lot better than I thought we would see. And, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that because, like I say, the, the government had really been telling employers that that was what they were going to do, but there wasn't a mechanism in the law to actually do it. Interesting. So uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago that one of the things we're hoping to get some more guidance on is uh, once you get past the forgiveness aspect of this and, and after the forgiveness period or the use period, um, what kind of guidance will there be for how companies can use the money and can it be used for unrestricted reasons? Uh, is there any uh, anything else in terms of noteworthy or significant issues that we're expecting or hoping to get some guidance on as we continue to move forward beyond the application and instructions that came out over the weekend? I think, I think the big one is going to be whether there's uh, either regulatory relief at the at treasury or congressional relief for um, 
for entities like restaurants, some of the folks that really can't start up and, and can't use the money and it's not, you know, no fault of their own. Uh, and, you know, they're going to miss out on this forgiveness window. So I, I'm not sure, you know, what form that will take, whether it'll require an act of Congress or whether the SBA will be able to, to uh, do something on that. But I, I do think that's a big question. Um, I think it's connected to that question is that, you know, there is a sense that a lot of those entities that can't bring folks back because they're either under closure orders or whatever, um, they still have significant rent, mortgage interest, utility costs. And because that's capped, um, you know, the, it further reduces the value of the program. So I think that, you know, Steve's point about it being gray as to, all right, you've got money left over after forgiveness that, you know, you still can use. I think there, to the extent that's unrestricted, it could help some of the harder hit businesses. And I think clarification on that's probably the biggest, the biggest other item aside from just whether there's sort of a, um, some form of, of, of lengthening out the period by which these funds can be used. Yeah, I would guess the lengthening part would take an act of Congress. The 7525 is completely administrative. It was entirely made up by the SBA during their rulemaking process. So they could change that if they, if they chose to do so. I think one other thing, and we're actually hearing it even though companies have only had the form for a couple of days now, uh, they're looking at the documentation requirements and going, you know, basically saying, holy cow. Because yeah. uh, there's an awful lot of documentation that's necessary uh, in order to be able to apply for forgiveness. And it'll be interesting to see whether that turns into enough political pressure or concern that there's an effort to try to simplify that process. I think we may find some employers who simply decide not to apply for forgiveness because it's not worth the paperwork headaches that they have to go through to do the calculations and provide the supporting documentations. And, and, and if it's not forgiven, it's a two-year, 1% loan, and there are worse things in the world than a 2%, uh, a 1% two-year loan. So um, I, I think we'll see companies make the decision not to apply for forgiveness at all, and, and maybe that will lead to some kind of relief in terms of the documentation requirements. I guess we'll see. And that will, uh, you know, that really highlights the importance of, as you said, the guidance on how they might be able to use the money uh, if it is not going to be unforgiven, if they've made that kind of business decision to say, hey, we're we're not going to ask for the forgiveness and we're just going to treat it as a very low interest loan. Uh, let's see if there are going to be significant restrictions on them using those proceeds. Yeah, and another, another thing SBA would have the discretion to do would be to... Um, to potentially extend out the term of the loan. I mean, I think the statute provided it could be up to 10 years. They selected two years. Um, you know, that that's another, I mean, certainly there's massive expectations built up around what people think these loans are gonna be, which is a two year loan. But um, for, for entities that can't take advantage of forgiveness, I think a consolation could be if the loan term was spread out to sort of spread the, you know, the cash flow pain of having to repay the principal and interest over time. The interest is small, but for businesses struggling to survive, it could be very meaningful. Uh, and I, I believe that, um, you know, I read something in the press that I think the restaurants were looking to, um, as a trade group, were looking to extend it out to a five-year term. And that's sort of what they projected would be, would be a meaningful relief for entities that can't take advantage of, of uh, forgiveness as it's currently structured. Yeah. 
I mean, for companies who already have loans and have signed documents with their bank, obviously the SBA can't go back and unmake those contracts. That would have to be something that's agreed to. But certainly for the unspent money in the program, you know, there, there's a possibility of that, or maybe there's there's a PVP 3.0 uh, coming down the road at some point, which, you know, maybe has more favorable terms. Hard to say. Yeah, and I was just going to, it's funny you mentioned that because as, you know, as we know that the uh, the House and Senate are in the midst of negotiating uh, some new proposals, some new potential uh, legislation, and, you know, I'm wondering whether any of this or any of these issues will find uh, their way into uh, what gets enacted next. The HEROES Act that passed the House has a number of the things that James has talked about. It would ex- give some flexibility on the loan duration and use of proceeds and some of these other issues that are, that are really impacting some of the businesses that, like restaurants that simply can't open. And there, there are a number of things in there that would benefit them. Um, I guess we'll see the extent to which any of that actually becomes part of law. So we'll uh, we'll continue to have the discussion, and uh, to the extent that additional guidance comes out, and certainly to the extent that uh, any new legislation gets passed, uh, I can't promise that I won't uh, beg you both to come back on uh, <laughs> on the podcast and continue to discuss all this. It's it's so complicated and so frequently changing, but uh, you both make it sound at least a little easier than it seems on face value. So I, I do appreciate that. Uh, other than reaching out to us, certainly, if uh, there are folks out there who do not know where they can get the uh, application, the forgiveness application from, where where do they go to get it? Uh, the SBA and Treasury websites. Okay. I'm so, sure if you Google PPP loan forgiveness application, you'll have no difficulty finding it. <laughs> probably high up there on uh, most searchable uh, terms uh, certainly in the last few days. And Mike, uh, uh, we also, we, we, Steve, myself, uh, Bob McGovern, we summarized uh, some of the sort of high level items. So there's a link to the application in our COSIN summary of, of the forgiveness application as well. If folks want to try to find that. Um, it's got point. some of our, uh, you know, our thoughts on it. It's a great point. And uh, you beat me to that plug. Um, as I've said before, uh, we at COSIN uh, do continue to have uh, our coronavirus task force page on our website at COSIN.com. You can find the coronavirus task force banner, which has all kinds of great materials, links to uh, various other entities and reference and guidance materials, uh, as well as uh, our e-alerts on these topics, including the one that uh, Steve and James and uh, their group just recently did on the application and instructions that came out. So you can certainly find all of that on our website as well. Um, Steve Dickinson, James Van Orden, I really appreciate you coming on again, and uh, I'm sure we'll be doing this again soon. Thank you, Mike. Nice to talk to you. Yep, same here. Thanks, Mike. Well, so much is uh, happening, so much we're still waiting for. Uh, I will continue to try to break it down for all of you on this podcast, and I'll continue to try to bring on folks uh, who can help me do that. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. I know there are so many things out there that you could be watching, reading, and listening to, and the fact that you continue to listen to my podcast and send me some great feedback uh, is really appreciated. So until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.